All right, how you doing? So this episode of the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast is being produced in association with Calm. So the cam- Calm is the campaign against living miserably. And Calm is a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide, which unbelievably is the biggest killer of men under the age of 45 in the United Kingdom. And men also constitute three quarters of all suicides in this country, which I think you'll agree are shocking statistics. So I'm really happy to support this cause through the podcast. Calm offers support to men who are down or in crisis and are intent on challenging the culture that stops men from speaking out and seeking help when they need it. Like a lot of people, I've been personally affected by this issue. So yeah, this is a cause that's really important to me. You can find out more about their uh, worthy work by checking out the website www.thecalmzone.net or by supporting calm initiatives such as Nelson's Tour de Test Valley, an annual cycling sportive held in memory of the much-loved and much-missed Nelson Pratt. This year's event, 2017, is being held on September the 16th in Hampshire. It's a truly beautiful celebration of Nelson's life, organised by his friends and family, that these days enjoys a reputation as one of the UK's top multi-route cycling sportives, but obviously more importantly, what Nelson's Tour de Test Valley does as an event is raise hundreds of thousands of pounds for Calm that has enabled that organisation to carry on its vital work. So yeah, find out more by heading over to www.thecalmzone.net and seeing what you can do to help and to find out more. All right, thanks a lot. Let's get on with it. All right, how's it going? You're listening to episode 14 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. It's the podcast where I try and uncover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. So I appear to have picked up quite a few new listeners in the last few weeks, which is uh, ace. So if you're new to the podcast, thanks for tuning in and I hope you're enjoying it. So this week I've got a really lovely, open and honest conversation with uh, Lucy Adams. So if you don't know Lucy, she's pretty much UK skateboarding royalty. She's a pro skateboarder for Love and Skate. She's chair of Skateboard England. And basically, she's been a super positive presence in UK skateboarding for years now. Whether through the tireless efforts she's made to make skateboarding more accessible for girls through her coaching classes, or just through her visibility as one of the most high-profile female skateboarders out there and one of the most uh, positive role models for female skateboarders that we've got in this country. And uh, regular listeners of the show know I've had a, will know I've had a little bit of a slating um, over the weeks for having one woman so far on the podcast, uh, Leslie McKenna, a few episodes back. So I was really glad to get the chance to speak to Lucy. Uh, she's based in Horsham, just up the road from me. So I headed up country into deepest, darkest Sussex and round to her house, which is where we recorded this podcast. I had thought we'd be mainly chatting about skateboarding and Lucy's career, But as you'll hear, the conversation quickly started to cover some really sensitive ground as Lucy opened up about the recent mental health struggles that she's been dealing with. So as hopefully everybody listening to this knows, issues of mental health are becoming much more openly discussed these days, but it's still a hugely brave thing to do to talk about it in public. And I think Lucy's to be massively applauded for that bravery and the openness she showed in discussing something that's obviously really difficult so openly and honestly. It's uh, it's intensely personal stuff, and I thought it was really, really moving. So I hope uh, you get as much out of it as I did. Elsewhere, we discussed Lucy's pioneering career, 
And I really enjoyed hearing her tales of growing up as the only girl in a predominantly male skate scene and how it shaped her as a person and a skateboarder. We also spoke about her involvement with Skateboard England and what skateboarding's inclusion in the 2020 Olympics means for the culture of skating and what that might look like practically as well. We go pretty deep into that, to be honest, but then I'm quite a geek on that stuff and I, I really wanted to find out more about it. And of course, we celebrate the fact that Lucy's just marked two decades of skateboarding with her own pro model on Love & Skate, her long-term sponsor, something of which she's justifiably extremely proud. So overall, I love this one. It's a really open and natural conversation with a thoughtful and uh, honest individual. And I really appreciate you being so open with me, Lucy, and sharing your story with me and everyone who listens to the show. As usual, you'll find extensive show notes to accompany this one on the website, including lots of links um, that will help contextualise the things we talk about and some uh, pretty wicked shots of the legendary Penny the Whippet. So I hope everybody enjoys it as much as I did. So here it is, my chat with Lucy Adams on uh, the importance of finding the balance. Enjoy. Um, what, so people would send you basically questions on email that you would then... Yeah. Right. And then they would copy and paste them onto their website or, you know. Right. That's not... <laughs> kind of slack. Yeah, I'm doing somebody's work for them. Yeah. So... I think that's kind of the and way... They, and because they were the same questions. Right. So if you just did a Google, you could get all them answers. How did you start skateboarding? How yeah, old yeah. were you when you started skateboarding? Yeah. How was it like to be a girl when you first started skateboarding? Yeah, you've read my questions, haven't you? I can tell. <laughs> um, we definitely might cover some of that. Well, yeah, no, so, so so here we are. We're in. We're at your place. Yep. Um, I'm with Lucy Adams. Thank you for joining me on the uh, Looking Sideways podcast. And um, thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. Nice to see you on home turf. Yeah. And nice to meet your uh, lovely dog. What's her name? Penny the Whippet. Penny the Whippet. Yeah. Yeah, I'll pour... I'm going to take a picture of Penny because she Good, is yeah. a legend, obviously. Yeah, but, um, she's quite famous. But looking, looking a little, a little sorry for herself at the minute, unfortunately. So, how's your day been? Yeah, not too bad today. Yeah, what you've been, yeah. you've been working. I've been at work, and it's been miserable out there. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, so, what do you do for work? Um, at the moment, I'm with the RSPCA as my full-time job. Okay. Um, so I'm a data import administrator there right what what does that look like that mainly is pressing buttons in order all day long okay and right. the reason behind doing that is because i don't have the headspace to do anything else because i do too many other things that i don't get paid for that require the headspace I guess. Okay. So that because I have noticed that about you, you look like you love a project. You yeah, know. I guess. Um, yeah. In, but you've always got like you've got a lot of different things going on. Obviously, you're a skateboarder, yep. which we'll clearly talk about. Yeah. Got your work with Skateboard England. Yeah. Of um, course. Yeah, it looks like you get involved. You know. Yeah, you, you like and to... so that they all take priority, really. But at the end of the day, you you have to pay the mortgage and the bills, and so I've never really found a way to do that without having a full-time job so so, so do you find that um it's interesting that because i do know what you mean sometimes 
because I'm I'm quite similar in insofar as like I I'm also somebody that's like forever got a project on the go and you know love being busy and and I sort of know what you mean when you say that um you haven't got the headspace mm. like you find it easier to do the other things if your work in life is is quite easy to to yeah. cope with if you like yeah right okay is that is it always been like that no you see I've had jobs that have just been quite demanding of me in the fact that when I go home I'm still thinking about it and and there's you know been quite some of it's been quite stressful emotionally yeah I guess so and therefore I don't want to feel like having made a plan in the morning to possibly go skateboarding that night getting home from work and thinking oh what a sort of crappy day right now I don't feel like going skateboarding okay I'm so over that right so what at what point did you did you realize that because that's quite a grown-up thing isn't it you yeah, know to actually be like actually do you know what that doesn't work for me and yeah and I'm going to change my life so I can concentrate on the things that I'm yeah that I'm interested in what, uh, when did you make that decision last summer oh, okay yeah so what, led, what led to specific. that um I think I've always thought that in the fact that I thought you know, I was meant to do a job and sort of like a job and then have sort of hobbies outside of work, which I guess lots of people do have that. But with the skateboarding, you know, that really, that is that is all I want to do. And not just go skateboarding for me, but the projects around the skateboarding. And I do like a bit of sort of coaching, like you say, the chair of Skateboard England, those bits. And so I felt like... It isn't just a hobby anymore, is it? It's not that it takes up more than that. And that's all I want to think about. And so it did become a bit like, how do people do work? <laughs> how do people like like it? I don't like it. I hate going. It takes up my time. Um, but then last summer, I kind of had a bit of a, a bit of a like, I don't really know, I guess, um, a period of depression. Um, and I just a big wobble really where I just found that one Sunday night I just decided like I don't want to go to work tomorrow to the point where it it panicked me right and I and I thought that's it I can't go okay there's no way I'm gonna go there tomorrow right and so that was quite like hard but then it did turn to me getting quite low right and so last summer I think for about three months maybe I was signed off work, didn't really do skateboarding at all. Just really managed to paint that fence behind you in a desert camo. Wow. Uh, Brilliant. Pattern. Amazing. <laughs> Pretty intricate. And the only reason I could do that was because the paint was on the in the tin and then it went on the brush and then it went on the fence and it was quite a clear process. That you and could there was concentrate an end result. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's then I decided that's what I need in, in my in, in a job. Something that doesn't change, that doesn't require extra things, that when I switch the computer off or whatever whatever it may be, it's done. So was was the work you were doing previously, do you think that contributed towards yeah. right. So it sounds like it's quite stressful. Yeah. And emotionally. Uh, so what was that job? Well, I was I was working for a local council, local authority, but obviously with the changes in just 
the world that world's changed in the last five local years local government it? Yeah. has become obviously cut slimmed down and so there were loads of changes at work loads of restructuring and everything that you hear about on yeah. a day-to-day basis lately and then it became like we actually lost our way as well within the department I was in, which is, was well-being, sort of like health and well-being, communities right. team. Sure. And so a lot of the projects and the work I did, I was carrying them on, but I had no real direction. And it just became like, yeah, a bit of a... I, I couldn't work out why I was doing it, but then there was still a lot of stress and then I was getting a lot of other work. And my job that I signed up for, I think, three years prior had changed so massively I was like I didn't really sign up for this this isn't it's grown into something huge and it was just sort of looking after young people across that whole local authority whereas originally it was just sort of like getting young people active it was quite a focused job and so it was more the traditional sports development role of getting young people that were probably not very active in the community active disadvantaged young people yeah you know. and so it was quite and then it changed yeah had things like child sexual exploitation safeguarding right that suddenly is like on your plate that you need to deal with and, and quite that. hard yeah i'm sure <laughs> yeah. okay right so is that how long did it take you to see so you say it was a few months for you to sort of understand that that's what you needed the change that you needed to make yeah i just um i had some support um, for different services, like health services, you know, did some talking therapy and stuff and just worked it out, really. But, yeah, I mean, there was some really tough times. But because initially the getting, the, the getting signed off, and it's obviously different for everyone, this, but for me and some other people I've spoken to, getting signed off almost made it worse initially because then you've got the guilt of thinking, I should be at work. Right. Can it cope without me? Yeah. Um, I shouldn't be doing this. Like, I'm, you know, I'm not physically ill. And I think that's what you read about quite a lot with mental health. Yeah. And so that's... It's amazing the, how that stigma is, is inbuilt, isn't it? Yeah. Even when you're, when you're going through... When you're suffering. Yeah. Yeah. What you've been through, to, to even have that to deal with, on like that cultural pressure yeah. on top of the actual, you know, yeah. issues that you're dealing with personally. Yeah. It's incredible how inbuilt that is, isn't it? And our organisation, the council I worked for, was meant to be sort of like mental health champion. Yeah. Or something. So something even somebody like you, for. who's really embedded in that culture and who's really got an experience of that, still feels that kind of pressure. Yeah. Right. So what? So how did you kind of break that then? Well, I'm not sure. I think it just took time. So obviously that made the first few weeks even sort of worse because I was just sort of, if I was sleeping, <laughs> I was waking up feeling like, a heavy weight of guilt like I should be going in the shower and getting dressed but I can't do any of this I can't even pick the clothes I want to wear for the day so I just wore the same camo shorts every day (laughs) and then it's so strange to think back on it now and then I guess as time passed I sort of realized well I can't go back right and it sort of got easier yeah um and I did go back after a while into a phase return, but just realised it didn't make me feel any better. Okay. So I was like, this has got to stop. Yeah, well, I think that's important to realise, isn't it? What you know, what you need to do personally to make yourself feel good and, and better in your life. Yeah. You know? And if you... So 
has it has it helped yeah. the change yeah what, did it worked the, yeah. the conclusion that you reached yeah about that was was right yeah okay i mean the whole thing that i went through i don't think it was just about that no role there's I've, many many different things of course but that's one big one i think like i sort of tried to put them into a, an order and what what makes me think, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God? Because that's how I felt when right. I was going through it. So literally, like, every other thought, like, I might look at this microphone and, th- and see a black thing and, like, assess that. And then the next thought would be, oh, my God. And then I could go back and look at the red cup and think that's a red cup. And then I'd be like, oh, my God. It was, like, unbearable. It was just right. painful. Right. Had you suffered from episodes like that before? Maybe, like, a... Something similar, but never to that level. Like, never to where I couldn't actually just keep, just have, like, a normal thought process yeah, you and just think, sort you, of push it aside. You couldn't think your way out of it. Mm. Right, okay. So. And how have you been managing that since? I think after, like you just sort of said, after that major one changed, the others start to just sort of slot into... That's that's kind of how it felt. The other ones just sort of... I was able to push it aside again or just go, OK, it's not the end of the world. Don't worry about it because you can't help it. I got that sense back. OK. They all just sort of came back, whereas before it would have obviously been, ah, you've got to do all you can to make this better or sort this out or... right change it um so it's almost like you were able to take a bit of pressure off yourself yeah okay right um and are you feeling do do you do you have ways now of 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 kind of like keeping on top of it or do you think that that's kind of passed for now um i don't know and if i'm honest i try not to one of the, I guess, one of the strategies is to try not to think about it too much. Yeah. Because it will get, it does get me onto that pathway of then going, hmm, but what if this? And then, oh my God, that. And so I, I think if something makes me feel a bit uneasy, I think, oh, there's the start of it. Right. And you don't need to feel like that. And anyone that says, like, you do for a period of time or you actually don't you have you do have the choice yeah and there might be really big hard ones like that like sort of walking away from that job was massive and you know with all the things that come with that just like the change what am I going to do if I don't do that you know will I even get another job the jobs that I was looking at that had that sort of lower level of stress and that just that were you know I guess pretty mundane sort of boring jobs obviously there was a big pay cut there um other things like that involved so and the flexibility I had with the role at the council meant I did some homework in that was good for my situation with the dog so I was you know worried how that was gonna all pan out but it did like I've I've worked it out, I've made it and I did just stop. So that pressure of thinking, 
well, I can't leave the job. I have to do this. I have to pay the mortgage. There's a big one and you can just stop. Yeah. You can. Well, I think it's amazing that you're brave enough to, to talk about it because, I mean, that's that's really positive recently, isn't it? It seems to be much more of a an acknowledgement of the fact that it's such an issue yeah. and that and it's so widespread yeah. and that and that people do suffer from this and it is yeah. it is something that needs to be taken seriously and 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 respectfully i think it yeah. seems to be a change doesn't it you know definitely uh, you you really <clears throat> don't know what people are thinking and it is so easy to put on that brave face for so long and we know this like because we see it you know all the time like we we saw it you know like with dave mirror like that one that i was like whoa i know it's Um, it's the cliche isn't it that you know because you see somebody like that or i mean there's been a couple of pretty famous rock stars recently haven't hasn't they you know and and it's that thing oh what even him but it that's that again that's that kind of cultural thing isn't it where it's like well that's just irrelevant you know it doesn't matter what position you're in does it or who you are or what your circumstances are ultimately it's an illness that that needs respectfully acknowledging and treating doesn't it yeah 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 but i think like you say that the more people are prepared to to discuss it openly and 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 let other people know then that's really important isn't it yeah i've got a friend of mine who uh, i'm going to interview actually uh who runs so a friend of ours a snowboarder called nelson um suffered from depression and sadly died about four years ago and a friend of ours uh, runs an event called calm uh runs an event for calm sorry um like a like a big fundraising thing you know so i'm going to speak to him for this actually about about this issue really because um for a future episode because yeah i think it's it's definitely something that needs to be talked about more, isn't it? Yeah, because it, and it's also individual that, you know, then even if there's just a little part of that that somebody feels like, oh, there's so much of it and you don't know how to class it. Like if you've got a sore throat, you think like, oh, I've got a sore throat or I might be getting a cold. And like, there's just so much that you know, like, oh, it's going to last for this long and I'm probably going to take some paracetamol and then it will probably get better next week. And it's so... Some physical illness seems to be so easy to just sort of get through, even yeah. if you're in so much pain. Yeah. Or like you think, oh, at the worst, I might have to go to the hospital and they'll sort it out. Well, but it's almost like there is a le- legitimate checklist for that, isn't always. there? That you can like just follow. Okay, well, yeah. that's that, that's fine. You know, yeah, but there just isn't is what that, I expect. There isn't that with mental health, is no, there? No, you're just sort of battling your way through and you know at the point when you don't even know yeah what like yeah when you don't even know it's not how you're going to get through the next hour i think for some people it is but just not you can't do the normal things you can't do anything normal could you skate no right because i didn't want to see anyone right and i didn't want to battle with a trick right because i thought that it was just too much to even think about just thought, what if I don't land it? Oh, and that's a silly thing. <laughs> Why would you think before you even tried, what yeah. if I don't land it? That's that's a crazy concept, really. Right. Because you're trying. So, you, yeah. So is the change that you've made, it sounds like that's been that's been positive. Yeah. And so you're now able to... So I guess, yeah, the the, the extracurricular stuff that we're talking about, is your yeah. skateboarding and your, and your Skateboard England of course, role yeah. right now. And they both seem to be going really well. Yeah. You just turned pro, right? I did, yeah. Yeah, so how's that? Yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's been I've been really stoked on it because 
I have been skating for 20 years this year. So I started in 97. So this is with Love and Skate, I should say, isn't it yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So I've, I can't remember exactly how long I've been riding for Love and Skate, which is annoying. But um, it's been quite some time anyway. And yeah, I sort of mentioned to Stu when I was coming out of this sort of bit last winter. Oh, and get sort of thinking like skateboarding's rad again. I mentioned to Stu, oh... I'll be skating 20 years next year. Cool, like that's come round. And then, um, so I said, oh, I'd love to do something. Like I'm definitely going to film a part, like something that I'm proud of. I'm going to, like, I want to start sort of really skateboarding street and, and do something that I'm proud of. And I've kind of really made friends with Andy Evans over the past sort of few years. He's a legend. <laughs> yeah, He's he great. Yeah, and I know so, Andy. Yeah. Yeah, He's so, another one I want to get on here, actually. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah. Yeah. We, so we really enjoy skating together and we really enjoy, like, what, what we talk about with skateboarding yeah he's a real smart fellow on disney yeah. got a lot to say and it's all it's all really funny. thoughtful and funny isn't it <laughs> it's yeah it's very funny yeah so having like sort of developed this relationship with him i knew i didn't really even have to ask i knew he'd be up for filming yeah um so yeah i said that to Stu, and then Stu was like oh i'd like to do something too and i never even sort of imagined it it be anything like a board didn't even come to mind but i thought if we could do a shirt or something or even just if the video part came out, as like yeah. Lucy Adams, 20 years, love and skate. And then he said, do you know what? Like, I'd love to do a pro board. Are you up for it? Which is amazing because so I feel like so many things happen with pros. Like, it's always a surprise these days. It seems to be the general, that's the, that's the path that you follow. You You just maybe put out a good video part and then all of a sudden you get surprised with a board and yeah. have a party. But then, I, you know, with Love and Skate, it's so, it seems so much more creative and the way, the love behind it meant that we could do this together. Because he asked me, he was like, but I, you need to have input and you need to, we need to collaborate on this. Amazing. Mm. So if you could have told yourself 20 years ago that you'd end up with a pro model, what do you reckon, how do you think you would have reacted? Probably then, or well, not 20 years ago because I was complete starting, but a few years in, I would have been thinking like that's all I want. Like yeah. I'd love to have well, that. That's the thing, isn't it? As a skateboarder, yeah, as a kid, yeah. as a sixteen-year-old yeah, yeah. that does something every day. Yeah, and that—that's the biggest sort of accolade of of it all, isn't it? Have you seen but, people like kids skating it? Um, on like the social media and stuff, people post pictures. I've yeah. not seen a real life one in the wild yet. But that's Stu, rad, though, isn't it? It's really rad. Stu's posted me a couple of pictures, and people tag me and stuff. So. It's amazing that so many shops did buy them and then, yeah, real life people. Yeah. Yeah. So 20 <laughs> years, we should, we should cover it. I mean, yeah. as we were saying before the start, I've read a lot of your interviews and they do really ask you the same stuff. So um, I'll try not to, not to like completely do that. But, you know, how you started is interesting. Yeah. yeah. So how did you start? What was the, what's the story? What's the latest version of the story? Yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe I should exaggerate it, make it sound better. But no, um, I was a sporty like girl at school and everything. And I did um, I did quite seriously swimming. Um, and the local pool in Crawley. Actually, I knew there were ramps um, in Horsham. There were a couple of ramps by a leisure centre. And they were like steel ramps, one a small one and a big one. And I'd been on my roller skates on them before, just as a kid, like... It was near a Tesco's and mum might have gone into Tesco's and dropped me off there and I'd had a little roll or whatever. 
because I had Bauer turbo roller yeah, skates. Classic. Yeah, just skated on the street on them, you know. And yeah, so I knew that was in existence and thought it was cool, but didn't really know anyone or any like anything about it. But when I started to swim for Crawley, that was a bigger leisure centre, and then you could see from the pool this area of like just like land behind it, and then some skeletons of ramps started popping up like a wooden skeleton yeah and so we went you know a few of us when we went swimming on a friday on a friday night it was a big training night and we'd get dropped there early because we'd always because <laughs> the leisure center at crawley was was big and had loads of stuff going on we'd always play like big games of 40 40 hide and seek that yeah, sort of yeah, thing yeah. and then all go swimming like when when our time was so we went out there and there was a few guys still building because it was quite late at night, sort of like half seven. But they were building it and they sort of said, oh, you know, you can't come in here. It won't be ready for a few weeks. And so we were asking them questions and they said, oh, it's going to be ramps. But obviously I'd only seen them half pipes. But then I started to see a skeleton of a whole skate park. It looked wicked. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to do this. And then as it got more and more every Friday, then we started to see the ply go down. And basically the, the four guys that were sort of building it on the build team and skaters were on it one night and one of them did a blunt fakie. And I just thought, well, I can't even comprehend how that happened. I just thought it was magic. And then went there on my roller skates the following week and the, those four boys were all like, "You, that's naff." You can't do that. Yeah, we did. We did the classic. Yeah, no, I didn't do that. <laughs> I'm making the uh, yeah the gate the bow legged motion. Yeah, what is that? So it's, it's like eighties roller skate. It must hurt their knees so much. You see, no, like, I couldn't actually do roller that. Roller skates on vert doing that. Yep. Yeah. There's one at Caterham. So, so people are still doing that. Yeah, there's wow. a guy at Caterham who's yeah quite Mind an old you, I guess guy. guess if you went, yeah. Anyway, so you weren't doing that. I wasn't doing that. But they were like, nah. Yeah, they were so, You can't no. do that. They said, like, skateboarding's cool. But actually, rollerblading, that was the time, like, in the late 90s, that rollerblading yeah. had its big boom. Yeah. And all the younger kids were wearing, like, them the baggiest jeans on earth and having them big rollerblades with, like, six tongues in and loads of big thick laces. So all of the younger kids that were there were mainly doing that, but I was just, just too blown away by the blunt fakie. Right. So it was that it was that thing that really caught your imagination. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny that I just I've got a six-year-old nephew and I'm a, I'm determined. He lives in Australia. I'm determined to get him surfing. Yeah, being like the really you know annoying uncle kind of thing. But I showed him Jay Bay the other day and he was like completely blown away by that. But when he saw someone get barreled, he had the similar reaction. He was just like, "What? Like I can't, you know I can't believe what I've just seen." You know, funny isn't it? What what kind yeah, of like what hooks you? Yeah. So you just got bored and. So yeah, I asked I, my dad. My mum and dad were split at the time, so a Friday night often used to be mum would drop me at the pool, dad would pick me up, and then I'd go to his for the weekend. So he was, you know, he was the. So I, I'd sort of say to him like, Dad, I need a skateboard. Like all these boys have got one; it's much better than these. Um, and then he was like, Oh, a guy that works for me. He owns a butcher shop. And one of the lads that worked for him, he's like, oh, he's got a skateboard. I've seen him, like, come to work on it. We'll ask him about it. So he was like, oh, you know, where'd you get a skateboard? And he sort of got me one. I think it was secondhand. And I just started trying, like, on the pathways and stuff around the village. And Right. So where, where were you? Where were you? Le- <laughs> so what, you would like, try to learn to Ollie? And... No, I didn't really even know Ollie was a thing. Right. Because the skate park was a spined mini ramp wooden one really nice four foot nice and wide and then 
there were other things like driveways and grime boxes, but I was just so taken by the mini ramp. Right. That I that that I just thought that was skateboarding. Right. But then the mini ramp was a bit set off the floor, maybe just like half a foot, you know, curb height sort of off the floor. Right. And then one day somebody did ollie onto it and i was like well that's different yeah more magic yeah. <laughs> how have you jumped from the floor onto there so then i knew like ollie in was a thing right because you know it was, this was pre-internet so how old were you at this time 13 okay well the, you know there was internet but it was dial-up yeah 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 it wasn't like it is now you didn't have it on your phone did no you? there was and no people YouTube. certainly weren't making videos that you could no and there yeah. wasn't a skate shop the yeah. first time i got sidewalk i was already skateboarding for quite some time and i got an issue sidewalk so then i actually saw pictures of skateboarding right but so you were just learning from the lads at the park yeah right okay and from the feel of just from going on the skateboard right that's great though, isn't it yeah it's amazing really so that was what got you hooked yeah that was what you liked about it yeah the fi- so how did that square with the old swimming career i'm guessing swimming didn't last very long swimming dropped off yeah right yeah. And how do you folks... Because I, I read that your your family's quite sporty as well. Yeah, they all are, yeah. Yeah. Well, what happened was um, a few Friday nights, I would pretend to have swum. Oh, right. Classic. stayed out at the park and then gone and run my swimming costume under the tap. Right. And my hair. Right. And then got in the car like, yeah, swimming was fun. With your skateboard. Yeah. Right. And so, how long um, did that last? Well, then I obviously realised, because I was obviously about 14, 15... That swimming cost money. Right. And I felt really bad. Yeah. So you were like, I'm going to do this now. <laughs> Probably shouldn't keep making mum and dad pay for it if I'm not going to do it. Right. Because I don't want to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. So were you the only girl in on the, on the scene, as it were? Yeah. Right. And did you notice that? Um, do you know what I mean? It might sound like a silly question, but like, or was it, or were you no. just like, it wasn't, just wasn't a thing? Not really, because like I said, I mean... Well, I just felt like I was one of the youngest skateboarders. That was the outsidery sort of feeling I had because the more of the younger ones and the guys that are like my age were blade were blading. Right. So the older, more like eighteen year olds were skateboarding, or like sort of sixteen and above, and then like the fourteen, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen year olds were, were rollerblading. So, but everybody was friendly. And everybody was learning because of that part getting built. That obviously did create a load of new beginners, whatever, yeah. to the create a scene. Yeah, it did because there were obviously there were some older guys that used to skate street in Crawley, but now and they'd obviously become a user group, pushed for the part, got the part built. So there was that like older crew. Yeah, but there became loads of new people, and so I just made friends of sort of everybody there. So then, so it wasn't like it felt more difficult, if you like, because you were a girl? No, I didn't get the feeling like that hardly at all until maybe I was a little bit older around... Just, I don't know, I guess a little bit older when when boys would then, like, want to talk about girls, I guess. Right. And then we all realised I was one. Oh yeah, bit... you're one of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. you know. Sometimes the because they obviously really outnumbered me, then their yeah. chat would go on that sort of path, and then I'd be like, oh, a bit awkward now. Right. But just sort of just avoid it, I guess. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't that. 
card. Yeah, it wasn't a really big deal. No. And you talked a lot about, is it Trevor? Yeah. Trevor Wedd. So, mm. so he's obviously sounds like somebody who's like a really big influence. He was blunt fakey guy. Yeah. So and he yeah. did he kind of mentor you then? Um, or is that putting it a bit? Yeah, a, no, bit, that's, a bit over the top. Yeah, that's too strong. I think. Yeah. He was just the. He was just probably what everyone around that time of class is the best. Yeah. Like the local skate park hero. Yeah. And he was sort of the one that was on the brink of sponsorship, getting a few sort of opportunities. Then he did start working in a what we would say was our local skate shop, which was actually in Red Hill, so took the train ride away. But yeah, he was just, he was like somebody you would almost expect to see down there, you know. Yeah. Whatever day or time you went, you'd expect to see Trevor there. And so, um, and when he sort of became a bit older as well, he was just, he wasn't necessarily like, he was encouraging but I found the fact that he didn't really, he didn't, he didn't smoke or take drugs. Right. Which I didn't either. Yeah. And which was unusual. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you're a kid at that age, that's something you've got to deal with, isn't it? Ultimately, yeah. are you going to do that? Yeah. You know, cause it, especially if you like doing something like skateboarding, it's, it's around in it. Yeah. So you have to make that decision really, don't you? Yeah. Like, is this for me or not? You know, so, so you decided quite early on that wasn't for you. Um, yeah, I just... I never, I was never tempted by any of it really. And I just thought, and I think it was, it was a bit more like that back in those days where there were more horror, it felt like there were more horror stories. Like I remember like front page news would have been like somebody died from a bad ecstasy tablet. And I felt like that was scary. It was definitely very well publicised back then. And so... That was just that. That was the image for me. Like, yeah. Well, even though it was mainly only smoking weed at the yeah. skate park, you know, there was nothing more. Right. Much harder than that going on, I don't think. But um, but I, it would have gone over my head. I wasn't, although I was in that world, I wouldn't have known if someone was doing something like that. Probably. Yeah. I just had no, not much concept of it. But it's it's interesting, isn't it? The importance of a positive role model like that yeah somebody that you look up to at that age and you're like well they don't do it yeah so what's the big deal you know so you know i'm not saying it gives you permission but it is important that stuff isn't it to i think so to have those people that you can be like well you know there's no big deal there it's yeah. just fine you know because like, otherwise it did become like you know it was often there especially in the summer until the evening um depending on you know how old I was at the time and what time I was sort of allowed out till because it was a train ride away the skate park but yeah I would have been there till like nine o'clock some evenings and then so definitely when them older ones came down joints got passed about as a normal sort of thing yeah and it yeah not many people said no it would have just been like yeah yeah, yeah. so one of the things that Halicar said that I thought was really really spot on in when we had a chat was about like how you know you get to that point with something like skateboarding where you, your horizons suddenly you know it gives you an opportunity to get out of your local area yeah you know you go from like the skate park and yeah. then it's like oh i'm going to do a trip there and then you meet more people mm. and then the next thing you know you're kind of like there's a scene here there's mm-hmm. a world here so when did that start to happen for you um in those even in those first few years because obviously I met, like I said, a bunch of sort of a bit older guys 
that, that skateboarded and so some of them already drove and I'm only sort of 14, 15 and then there's some, you know, they're like 18 and they're driving. So I did start suddenly getting invited on, oh, um, you know, Hastings has got a, a skate park. We might go there on Saturday. Would you be up for it? So I'd be like, oh, I better ask my mum. And, <laughs> and then, so I did start sort of venturing out to different places, to different skate parks and then... And then as I sort of grew older, it would be a natural thing. Like, you know, if you get one of them um, inset days at school, we would always plan to go to PlayStation without fail. We'd always go there. Any sort of holidays off school would always plan to... We'd we'd either go to PlayStation or Radlands, and Radlands would be one hell of a trek. Yeah, it's a mission for me. It's a three-hour, like, ride on a train. Yeah. Because you have to change, like, two or three times. But we'd all get up and take the first train after nine o'clock so it's cheaper because if you get the train before nine o'clock it'd be a fortune but I don't think it opened till like midday anyway yeah and yeah we'd start doing things like that and then yeah other people like at school and that would be you know and you'd say like I went to Northampton yesterday I'd be like what <laughs> it was unusual it really yeah yeah and even like to my mum I'd be like right we're going to Radlands she'd be like where's Radlands it's like Northampton mum come on yeah she'd be like, you're going there in a day I was like, yeah, it was just the natural thing to mission it somewhere. And it sounds like you, obviously, if you're doing the swimming, that's like competitive, isn't it? You know. Yeah. So did that carry over into skateboarding? I guess did you a want bit. to do comps and did you want to try and sort of see how good you were at it? Yeah, because I didn't see many other girls. Right. So obviously, when you know, like I said before, it didn't feel much different. But then look, people would say to me, like oh, have you, do you know any other girls? Like, oh, you're quite good. Like, and then if... Good for a girl. Yeah, good for a girl. Classic. But who was the other girl? Like, right. I wanted to know. And so those couple of first few comps, I don't really know how they even came about, but I was, like, really excited because I was obviously going to see others. Right. And, yeah, see how I fared. Right, so you started to meet more girls at those things. Yeah. Right, okay. So who who did you start hooking up with then? Um, so I became aware of, right, right at the beginning, let me think, of like Jenna, Jenna Selby. Um, and then she had a friend called Rowena Brannan. Yeah, Rowena Brannan. Um, so Row and Jenna, yeah, they used to skate. I think they both went to university in Newport, but they weren't both from there. But there was Newport Skate Park that they skated, so I was aware of them, um, and when they came back and went to London and stuff, we'd meet up. Um, then a little while later, sort of Sam Bruce appeared as really like a young girl on the scene. And that was really cool. Um, there was a local girl from Hayward's Heath called Hannah, or the, she was known as Mouse. So I'd often see her at some of the local parks that started happening. Um, but yeah, just few of them so how and so a big part of what you do which you mentioned earlier is coaching isn't it yeah and coaching girls in particular so so how was that was that something that you kind of thought early on was would be something you'd want to do I think the first time I can't remember which way around is I think the first time I did something was in association with the Urban Games. The oh yeah, event. down, down Clapham Common, wasn't That's it? That's right. So yeah, yeah it was every have, year. I remember that. It was usually a Sprite sponsored thing, or you know. It something. was like August, wasn't it? 
Yeah. Yeah. It was always hot. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was quite a good event. It was like oh, break dancing was always a big part of it. Yeah. They have world championships there, but it was quite a good one. And one year, obviously, like maybe one of the agencies that helped do something had some sort of relationship with the. Is it? Are they called Powder Puff Girls or Power Puff Girls? I think I remember. Anyway. Yeah. Some cartoon that had like wicked little female characters that right. did some sort of stuff. Sports maybe. Um we did this thing with them. They wanted some girls to help get other encourage other girls to have a go at right. the urban games and we had a little area for an amount of time. And so one of them, I got asked if I wanted to be one of these. So I did and it was really good and we did have quite a bit of take up. So that was quite fun. And then I didn't think about doing it much more until then I got asked. Then there was like this emergence of like summer camps and things like that. And one of them was a girly camps and they did snowboarding, surfing and skateboarding camps. And they asked me to be um, sort of a coach or a leader or whatever on one of their summer ones, um, which was in Barcelona. Nice. Yeah. And, and Alyssa was there, Alyssa Steamer. Lauren Mollica used to be a really good female skater for Acnes. Um, yeah, and it was just really good. So, and do you think that kind yeah. of, you know, almost like safe space, if you like, for mm. girls to get into it is, is important? Yeah. You, yeah. Think, you think it's... Yeah, I'm a strong advocate for that sort of... I really do, because half... I mean, no, I don't... I can't even talk about stats, but so many of the girls from the Brighton session that I, that I used to... that I started and used to run called She Shredders, so, most of those participants, they wouldn't have even... probably... it wouldn't maybe have crossed their mind, or it might have crossed their mind, but it would have never been put into action to actually do it without that this is a session for girls yeah. or for women to just make it that little bit more accessible to get and, them to actually come and take away that barrier of yeah like oh i'm gonna look stupid yeah and... we provide the kit we provide people to help you yeah and a space that's like quite quiet and friendly and even if that was even if you took the female only element out of it and just had like beginner sessions or beginner's adult sessions, it still wouldn't, I think, it wouldn't grab as much of that's a place for me. Yeah. Because they'd still think, well, that would be men. Yeah. Well, they're intimidating places anyway, skate they parks. Are, yeah. So especially if you're a beginner. Yeah. And especially if you're a woman, especially if you're maybe a bit older, you know. Yeah. So are you still coaching now? Um, I haven't been doing it for a while. I mean, since last summer, last summer I took the time off. And so I sort of went back to a few sessions in the winter, um, but there was some changes to the timetable, which didn't necessarily fit with me. And, and But it's kind of good because it's it grew, it's maintaining like its numbers, and then there's some new staff trained up to, to lead that session. Yeah. And so that's really good. That if that's not that's a, that's an outcome that's good mean, legacy. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and it, I've been back a few times, but I've got quite a lot of other. I've had quite a lot of other things on. Yeah. And that's how I felt like every Thursday night, because I obviously do a full time job. Before when I was working for the council, that was another thing that Thursdays 
I did a full day of work. I went straight there and then did a two and a half hour session there and then came home and then, you know, get home at 10 o'clock and then go straight to bed. And then, so Thursday, I started to look at as like dreading because it was such a long day, right. even though those last three hours were like skateboarding and quite fun. Yeah. It would just be like, oh, such a long day. And yeah. like, so, uh, yeah, so I kind of took some time off from that. But it's nice now because when I go back, I sort of, get to do a bit of skating get to see some of them and just see how it's moved on and grown well and i'm sure we'll get to this but you know i think well you'd be able to tell me but it looks like a lot, some of the work you do in skateboard england is, is to almost try and establish like a, a kind of legit coaching structure yeah in 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 england mm-hmm. so obviously that experience you've got must be lending itself to yeah. to, to what you're doing there as well exactly yeah but have you noticed uh, an an increase in in girls skateboarding yeah like over the because obviously you've got a pretty unique perspective on this. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's quite obvious to see when you just do travel around to skate parks now that there's not, and this is across all disciplines really, but like there's, it, it isn't so male dominated. Like let's count scooter in, there would be young girls on scooters as well. So at least that's showing the change in that the place isn't so yeah so male dominated but yeah. you, st- you are seeing more female skateboarders like i i, I met um a friend of mine roxana at the level sunday morning at 8 a.m right by 9 a.m there was another girl in the bowl skating a you know a board and then by the time we left at 11 there was another girl there it's just and i'm hearing that around the country that it's not unusual now to see another girl out the park so a google search of your name, which yeah. I did a bit for obviously researching this, yeah. does does bring you up in some pretty uh, pretty unusual um, articles. Like, you know, there's the rich list thing yeah. that you were in years back, which you talked about in your sidewalk interview. It seems that basically at some point, perhaps because you were the most high profile UK mm. girl skateboarder, you you were given this almost like, oh, let's, let's get Lucy Adams involved in this because she's... Uh, you know, almost given yeah. this like spokesperson for for UK female skateboarding. Yeah. When did that start happening then? How long? How long into was it? Was it the rich list thing? Um. Maybe you should tell that story because that is a good story. Okay. Yeah. Well, that one is that was strange. Like, again, that was before like people could email you or just message you through social media. So, I for I don't even know how they would have, but they this couple called the Beresfords compile these rich lists, I think for Royal Bank of Scotland or something like that. Sunday Times thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Supplement exactly. every year, yeah. Um, and they obviously had got hold of my home phone number via probably, I don't, I don't know. And so messages were on my home answer phone, you know, back in those days. And so <coughs> it wasn't just me that heard it like my mum heard like oh hi you know we're this people we're making this predicted rich list this new thing and by 2020 we're predicting like future millionaires we'd like to talk to lucy about potentially being on this list so my mum had heard that one i think so when i got home from school or college she went like oh this is really exciting listen to this and i was like oh god that sounds awful like and I think they rang again and mum was like, ring them back, ring them back. So I think I did. And then basically I was young. I think I was 16. So I didn't really know what to say. And then I think they said to me, we're basing 
this this the research is based upon like Tony Hawk's current earnings and then projected and how you know how what sort of trajectory you could be on and anyway it made not really any sense to me and I didn't really know how big and like in the media it was at the time so it ended up yeah like the day it came out I think like you know GMTV or good you know morning TV covered it is in all the papers and stuff and so people did because like, you're going to be minted like. yeah people did like people I hadn't seen since like primary school would stop me in the street and go all right you know family that's like you know this bit distant on my mum's side that we might have seen at a funeral or something you know rung my mum and said oh my god we can't believe Lucy's like Lucy's rich. Worth 10 million. That's so random, isn't <laughs> like, it, that they came up with that figure? Yeah, it really is. It's like a few mil off Wayne Rooney or something. <laughs> so who was the weirdest person that you were on it with? Oh, um... Who... Well, I mean, it was weird that obviously Wayne Rooney and Kira Knightley were on it because they were already quite famous, I think. They'd, yeah, he'd already been, like, what's the word? You know, it had been said that he was going to be the best player in yeah. England, and then she was, she'd already been in film, so she was already earning, like, a lot of money. Right. So that was pretty mad, I guess. Okay. Yeah. So, so did that sort of thing start happening more often? You know, you started getting, pulled, you know, almost like I say, like, approached to be yeah. the girl skateboarder yeah how did you feel about that um enjoy it yeah for the most part those things were always quite like like quite fun to do there was there was some that i did think oh it's a bit is this a bit more hassle than it's worth but i just felt like i guess at the time i was getting a little bit of sponsorship so I sort of felt like I should do things like that right because that's you know that's the responsibility of having a bit of sponsorship but yeah I remember like one was for maybe like a, a teen magazine and I think it was at it was at PlayStation and the photographer had set up all these things, you know, like big white umbrellas and stuff like that. And then I was just dropping in. Right. And that and then, was it. Yeah. And I was like, I just had to do that like 40 times. And the photo was just a fuzzy photo of me dropping in. Right. And I was like, a bit upset by that one. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So some of them were. It's the classic like mainstream. Yeah. Approach to action sports in it. Yeah. You know, and just like, yeah, that looked great. Yeah. Just keep doing that. Yeah. You're like, mm, really? Okay. Yeah, it didn't. Yeah. So, well, I mean, you must have had a lot of that in your career. Yeah. Basically. What's the weirdest thing that anyone's asked you to do or like that you've had to do? Um, well, this one just springs to mind. It's, it might not be the weirdest, but we, um, a couple of us, uh, Matt Pritchard, you'll know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and a guy called Matt Davies that's also from Wales, that's good mates of Pritchard. We did, because they both skated for Globe, and I think Pritchard worked for Globe for a while. And at the time, there was a sister brand called Galaz, which is like for females and like female-specific footwear. Um, so I was sort of riding for Galaz on a little sort of flow package. And he'd obviously got 
this opportunity, this job for um, a games company, a computer game company, to make a, a like there was going to be a hover blade, uh, yeah, hoverboard. I think it was called Hover Blade. But the idea was, you know, it was a bit like Tony Hawk, but they were on hoverboards. So they wanted a female as well as them two. And we went to Shepparton TV Studios and wore them like, like basically like a wetsuit, like a lycra suit with ping pong balls all over us. Right. And did like motion capture. Okay. And there were like, I don't know, 16 cameras or tw- oh, maybe more than that. I can't remember. But there were loads and loads of cameras all around and we had to have ping pong balls all over us. Like we even had to wear like a hat because that had ping pong balls on it. Obviously, they weren't ping pong balls. I don't know what they are. Yeah, are they're they? those things that they use to map it. Aren't yeah, they? exactly. Yeah. And they were on our shoes, on our board. So they wanted you to do like a kickflip, but you've got like ping pong balls on your shoes. Right. So we were like kicking them off. So and this was for what? Sorry. For um, a computer game that I think. Oh no, it was called Airblade. Right. It's called Airblade. It was out on PlayStation. Okay. The, the first one, I guess. I right. don't know. I wasn't big into them. Things. Yeah, yeah. But it was in the winter. It was freezing in there. It was, you know, at the TV studio. So it's just white, white, white wool. Yeah. And we were wearing like a lycra suit. It was freezing. I was like blue all day. Right. And then just having to do an ollie like 30 times in a row. With ping pong balls, With ping on, pong your, balls. on your feet. Yeah. Right. That was quite weird because then we had to go back and do it for a second day, right. maybe even a third. I think we did it for three days. Yeah. Um, but it was quite fun because then when they sent the game, there were some bits, some of it was just like the movements that you would do on your skateboard. So they wanted a kick flip, a heel flip and shove it to get all of that like movement. But some of it they wanted when you're selecting the character at the start. So the characters might be sitting there or doing something. And I remember I had to do like, I'd like have my back to the, the the thing, the screen or whatever, then turn around and like flick my nail and then like give it a nod. Wow. Okay. So I had to do that. Right. For them then to then map that obviously onto the, so when I got the game, if I selected the two female characters. You could see yourself doing I that. I could see those things that I had to like do. It was very awkward. Wow. Yeah. But you've been in a video game. It's true. Yeah. You and yeah. Tony. Exactly. Yeah. Um, right. So. And you find, I mean, you, you do tend to be sort of called out as a spokesperson, really, don't you? Sometimes. Sometimes. When there's an issue to sort of discuss. Is that, is, <laughs> that, is that weird? Like? No, not really. No. Yeah. I don't mind doing that because I'm not, hopefully I'm never always trying to say like that's, that's what we all, I'm always trying to say that that's my opinion of it, but. Yeah. Everyone is a bit different. Yeah. I might think differently. Yeah, yeah. So who were you, um, you said you were starting to get sponsored yeah. at this stage. So who who, was, who were you getting hooked up with then? Well, that that footwear brand, Galaz, starting to get a few pairs of shoes. Although, like, because it didn't really sell well, I don't think like, there were many that got, that sort of came over onto UK shores. So that was a bit sort of sparse. Um, and then there was a local brand that Trevor, we mentioned before, he rode for called 360 Clothing. And that came out of that shop in Red Hill. But it actually did quite well um, and got stocked in quite a few other sh- shops around the country. So they made what their idea was to make affordable like skateboard denim. Because back then, like in the like late 90s, early 2000s, if you were going to buy a pair of Jaws jeans or DC jeans or whatever, they were going to be like 60 quid or whatever, weren't they, to skate in? Yeah. 
So people were going to, what there wasn't Primark back then or whatever, but getting like Tesco's jeans or, because you knew you were just going to ruin them, yeah. holes in the knees, whatever. So they would, they were doing like a 30 quid jean. Right. But that was like the okay. equivalent. So they did quite well and that was really good. Yeah. It felt like a quite, the team was some locals, but then like big guys like Paul Shire was on it. Um, Lee Stewart back then, Rob Selly. So like some, some, yeah guys that were on like blueprint and panic it was right. big back then yeah 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 so it was good yeah um but loving skate's been the longest association has it yeah 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 i would say so yeah it's got to be i think and and sort of that i felt that that was like really real because some of the other some of the other bits are like a flow of an american company you know like hardware and stuff yeah so yeah it's a bit less but like Stu's into it, I'm into it, and then we're all like a bunch of skateboarders that everything that happens with Love and Skate is generally shared. Right. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Mm. And how did you get into the Skateboard England thing then? Because um, you're the chair, right? Yeah. Um, so that came about because a lot of other, like, well, obviously, there's been, there's, right, we'll start... In the UK, there has been move, moves to make something like that before. So um, there's been the UKSA was started. I, I can't remember when that was started, but that was started for a similar thing whereby they wanted to a, a bunch of guys that were in the industry, skateboarders, whatever, wanted to try and have something that did make the coaching aspect a little bit more safe and consistent, like a consistent approach. So not just every Bill and John could go and say, I can teach kids or right. to try and do that. And also I think one of the main aims of the UKSA was to try and stop substandard skate parks getting built and councils getting robbed and things like that. Yeah. Epidemic really. Isn't it, that? Exactly. So that was their main sort of aims, but they sort of wanted to, be a national governing body but the stuff that i guess we probably talk about like so that sport england all of that box ticking and like hurdles and hoops that you've got to jump through is so difficult and it's another language and another world and it takes time and like expertise that i guess that group were lacking so that movement kind of stopped and then um in 2015 I think there was another move and Jerome Campbell who's a really good skateboarder in the UK. He, I guess maybe him and some others were thinking about it and lots of other Euro European companies were doing it. And because of his sort of pro status and knowing about that, he, he'd heard about what other countries were doing and sort right. of said, there is, there's a, there's a need for this because otherwise the danger is non-skaters could do it. Yeah to then try and like we'd heard about that in other sports you probably heard about that with snowboarding right yeah which is the the famous example of exactly when and it goes really wrong what if somebody else tries to take us yeah and then oh, it could all go wrong yeah so i mean it's so, taken yeah. 20 years in snowboarding in <laughs> to sort of get it right well on the international stage it's st i would say it's still in a complete mess really but um in this country to in the uk to to yeah, like you're talking about to sort of 
actually get snowboarding in a, in a position where it represents the, the culture of the sport yeah. and, and, and that is, is accurately represented on the Olympic stage. Mm. It has taken 20 years. I mean, yeah. it's that, yeah. So that's kind of what you're involved with. Basically. Yeah. And so that, that, um, Jerome happened to know a guy that had had lots of experience in national governing bodies, had a lot of experience with the FA, had worked for them for a long time, but also just like the Sport and Recreation Alliance and knowing the language and and knowing, had a good network of people and is hadn't been interested in skateboarding and didn't really have a knowledge of skateboarding. But that's where him and this guy called James, so this guy that had the expertise, Jerome and James basically sort of went around the country and did some meeting of some people that they'd kind of shortlisted, I guess, to possibly be involved. Right. So they went to shops, skate parks, um, and Jerome hit me up and said, would love to come and visit you and talk about this and see if you want to be involved. Same situation he'd done with like loads of other people. And lots of other people had said, you know, we haven't got the time. I know I haven't got the time to give to this. But they came down and they met me and I was like, this is great. And really what I wanted to do, because as the UKSA was sort of dying, I'd got in touch and said, <laughs> like how you were saying earlier, is I, I seem to be this female rep. And so I'd love to actually do this. Right. For, for you if it needs be yeah and they were sort of oh we're not really in a position none of us are really doing anything all we do is the uk champs now really right so when that they said this to me james and jerome i was like well yeah i'm really interested i'd love to be considered for the board or whatever so i think then it was just sort of a progression and eventually when we got a bunch of people around the table we formed the board which is obviously made up of there's uh eight directors and two independent directors i believe okay so we've got a couple of people that we've gone through a recruitment process to get actual expertise in areas that none of us on the board have right um and to go with sport england's governance we have to have that two independents and then on the board we've got skateboarders skate shop owners um who else have we got well, yeah, that's it, really. But yeah, but people, yeah, with skateboarders who, yeah, who, who, who are going to works for a skate park manufacturer. Yeah, but they're going to safeguard the culture. Exactly. Essentially, yeah. and make sure it's done in the right way. Yeah. So you're currently negotiating with UK Sport about, you know, what the team's going to look like, what the what the qualification process so, is going to look like. Well, actually, I should say because I'm sort of focusing on, on the Olympics, but that's yeah. just one part of what you're doing, right? Yeah, exactly. So, and that part isn't really what the national governing body should do. So we are Skateboard England because, and the reason we are is because Skateboard Scotland already existed and was already recognised. So when we formed, um, we had some information and some advice from people like Leslie that you've spoken to and, and some others within the world of snowboarding that said, don't form home nation ones, just form a GB entity because it just makes sense. Um, but Skateboard Scotland was already there right. and doing a very good job of what it does. So we formed Skateboard England. So those home nation governing bodies look after the grassroots. So we just deal with Sport England and look after participation and skateboarding on, on that level. And then a GB entity should be formed to deal with elite yeah. and UK sport. That's, that's how it is in, in, in winter sports, yeah. Yeah. So, but because there isn't one, 
Yeah. Um, and we're in this situation where skateboarding is going to be in the Olympics and it's really soon. Yeah. We are taking, like, bearing the brunt of that work at the moment. So we've been doing some of the meetings and we have been doing bits of the work that we can. Yeah. Um, so that does look, that has looked like, yeah, submitting a an application to UK Sport to potentially get some funding to help some of our skateboarders. Um, but it's un- it's been unsuccessful because UK Sports current method of assessing those applications are all to do with it's just medals and medals. If you're going to win a medal, yeah. So you have to really demonstrate that you're going to win a medal and yeah. have everything to back it up. And if you can't lie, because yeah. they have a whole intelligence team of people. And there's a lot of other sports that are very. Uh really try to get their hands on this cash right so yeah it's all them sports and and we do so well now that it's really hard there's like there's money out there but it's not never ending no and especially this year there was like news of the money actually the lotteries on on the fall so that there's less money i think so the dcms had to underwrite the grant and it didn't go up yeah it's going to stay static i think i think in with in gb park and pipes case I think I'm right. It won't increase no matter what the results are. It yeah. might stay the same. The two outcomes will be it'll stay the same or it'll decrease, right. essentially. Mm. Yeah, so, so d- lots of sports lost it this time. Yeah, and it, and also that, I mean, that debate's, when I sort of got involved in this world, I, I just assumed it was linked to participation. You know, I was like kind of thinking, well, obviously you would try and make this about participation, but they really don't, do they? So yeah. sports with huge participatory yeah. bases just didn't, didn't get funded did they I think like basketball's like the famous one isn't it and stuff like badminton you know there's like yeah however many hundreds of thousand badminton players yeah and, you know yeah recreational badminton players so yeah. do you think it's like likely that there will be a gb olympic team in 2020 i don't know if we can say team because as well when you look at the skateboarding it's really small so it's going to be there, and like you quite rightly said earlier, it's probably going to be one of the biggest attractions of that Olympics. But there's only two disciplines, and there's only 20 athletes, athletes, skateboarders. You see it started. Yeah, yeah the technical terms. <laughs> there's only 20 skateboarders in each. So there'll be 20 men in park, 20 women in park, 20 men oh, in street, f- in and 20 the whole women event. in the whole thing. Right. So Didn't realise that. It's, we're talking so tiny. So you might have there might be like one or two possibly but, you can't tell, but yeah. that's with the rest of the world and yeah. what we're hearing what we anticipate is there'll be quotas based on continents so out of those 20 and, and this isn't you can't take this as red because it hasn't been announced and probably won't be till the third quarter this year so we might be hearing some news in september but what we're what rumors are that there might be like five five for the americas four for Europe, four for Asia. Right. And obviously the host always have one, so there will be one Japanese. Yeah. So it could be that there's, in Europe, three French and one German. Right. Or And so it's really, really, we're talking so small. It's a long game, isn't it, this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and that might mean that the next Olympics, there suddenly becomes vert as well, and it all goes up a little seems bit. seems mad vert's not in it to me. Um, I probably can say this but vert didn't go in because there wouldn't be enough women really yeah okay fair enough yeah that 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 seems to be the reason behind the decision right because there wouldn't have the caliber of women wouldn't have been enough to have 20 that 
were really sort of quite progressive for the IOC that took taken them years to yeah. allow female ski jumpers I think <laughs> God. literally yeah. I think I might be wrong but I, I think next year might be the first female ski jumping I mean for for that organization that does seem quite progressive really yeah everything that comes in now has to be equal right yeah so what's the, the new sports what 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 do people in skateboarding feel about this do you think is everyone just a bit like meh until it happens I think a lot of people have been there's so much lack of understanding um and so with that sidewalk article that we did recently yeah I'll, we put, were, I'll put a link onto that because yeah, obviously cool. it's a really comprehensive it piece tries that, to isn't get it? yeah it tries to get the sort of easy to understand version of it because there's there's like quite a lot of sort of famous skaters that have been like writing on social media about it and and not having like showing such a lack of understanding and still talking about oh I expect Vert will be in it and and these decisions have already been made it's surprising that some people don't know about this but then it's not everyone's bag so yeah I think there's been a lot of people that have just been totally indifferent to it yeah there's been some opposition but then from where I am within skateboard England there's also been a lot of support because people do have come to us and you know we've had we've had so many inquiries already which you could probably expect from like parents and younger kids saying how do I get to be in the Olympics right so yeah we have had that we've started to have that quite frequently yeah that pathway stuff as well is something that UK sport requires isn't it you know they want to know that there is this uh this yeah way of getting kids up, yeah. the, up the ladder basically don't which they? is where we've been totally lacking in capacity and financial anything that yeah we've we've had no funding from anyone yet well, yeah. we've had a, a small grant from sport england for the chief exec to do some work based on making a business model basically for how we can be sustainable as a governing body so it was just a, a project right. we've had funding for but everything else it's all been completely voluntary we haven't even had expenses yet because we have no money to pay them. Yeah. So for two years, we've been all... Out your you own know, pocket. Yeah, taking annual leave, paying for the train, all this stuff. So... Yeah. And it's been quite tough. And I think people don't... People obviously assume straight away somebody must be paying them. Yeah. For this. Yeah. But there's... People assume there's money, don't there's, they? There's been... There's nothing, yeah. And that's been the tough bit about doing the submissions to UK sport because it would be lovely to get some of our skaters some money to help them go to every comp get those results that that sport England want um, UK sport want to see yeah so they can go yeah that guy or that girl is in with a chance because we've seen them get on the podium at that event and that event had that massive international field so yeah, we believe you. Yeah. But we're just sort of putting names on a piece of paper, and they're going. Hmm, yeah. Where where are the results? That's all they're interested in. It's quite mad, though, isn't it? Because I think one of the things, the problems that we had in UK snowboarding was the talent actually wasn't there. You know, mm-hmm. like early on. Yeah. It it has taken twenty years really, for you know we've actually got like proper medal prospects next year. Yeah. You know, there's actually people that that genuinely have a chance of winning medals which is great. But in skateboarding, you've already got that. I mean, you know, maybe not in the 
in the format that the UK sport wants to see. But obviously, British skateboarders are some of the best in the world, you know, like, well, they have been historically, though. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's not yeah. like a new thing that there are high profile British skateboarders. No, that's true. It's not not in this format or exactly. structure. But like, you know, there are that like that, that work's been done. You yeah. know, those pioneers have been there and done that and, exactly. have, and have made their name on a global stage, you know, yeah. so. Which is, yeah, it's frustrating. And I think when I had a chat with Leslie before and maybe with Jenny as well, and probably Hamish, all of them talked about the way that they look at, they do, you know, they're looking at stuff for my dog's going mad on her own. Look, oh. she got her toy and was throwing it about. She, right, wants be, she wants to be in the interview. No, no. Um, no, so yeah, I spoke to Leslie, Jenny and Hamish and I think they all told me about this sort of way that they're able to say, okay, let's look at this girl's winning run. She did that trick, that trick, that trick, that trick and that trick in that line. Let's see our best woman. She can do all them tricks. We've got her doing this one on that mountain and that jump, this one doing that on that bit and her doing that there and she's done that in that snow dome there. So she can do them. She just needs to put them together in that run on that course. Yeah. So like there's a very different way of doing it. So, you know, you take Tom Shaw's winning run from the Vans Park series and literally really break it down and then look at Alex Halford, like one of our best guys, and go, yeah, he could front Smith around that corner. Yeah, he can do that trick there. He can do that trick there. Has he got the potential to do that winning run? Yeah, he's got it. But he didn't necessarily do it in that comp then because he didn't... And that's the, diffi- that's, that's the fundamental contradiction, isn't it? Because, you know, in, in putting action sports like skateboarding or snowboarding into that context, because that isn't how people do it. That isn't yeah. how, you know he skates how he skates yeah. to start to start putting it in that ultimately very competitive structure yeah. is going to be different and and that's something that a lot of people in snowboarding are still really scathing about really yeah you know but i kind of my my view personally is that there's room for both yeah there is you know it's just a choice it doesn't matter does it no it doesn't it doesn't detract from that other skateboarding or snowboarding reality in the slightest no and as you said it's going to happen it is going to happen. Yeah. It's inevitable, you know, so you might there's, as well sometimes try and control it. a part of me, and I think that other people have also expressed this sort of feeling that it's not the same, like, if little Jack is watching it on telly and is like, sees Niger win the gold medal and he's, he's standing on the podium with his American flag, and then little Jack is like, yay, I'm going to start skateboarding to do that. It's so different to how many of us got into it and so i guess that some people think feel like that's a bit of a a worry because it's not it's not the same like most people of around my generation probably got into it to escape yeah that that that, yeah (laughs) and so it is well different but hopefully and i've i've i have read this uh, i can't remember who who said this in an interview but it was very good you know, that the polars of the skateboarding will will push further apart. And so those people that do oppose and like, you know, really core, street only, whatever, that part of skateboarding, skate or die, will just get more. And then if Jack does start because he wanted a gold medal, but then that opens him to this world of, oh, there's all these different types of skateboarding. Oh, actually, I want to be like them now. That's really cool. Well, the fact is it's it's different now. 
I mean, it's it's changed, hasn't it? Yeah. And and I think something like all all of them have. I mean, you know, I mentioned the J based WSL surf event. I mean, that is like a that that is a very well produced, very expensive, right. very you know glitzy global event. You know, it's not a load of soul surfers in the 60s anymore no you know they, they are massive now aren't they that's yeah. that's that's the fact of the matter really in skateboarding i mean jesus it's since you started i mean you must have seen that 20 years yeah. the actual the absolute explosion and in, in popularity yeah it, it is inevitable i think it yeah. was always going to happen you yeah know? because there's people now even like so from me of, of 1997 i'm i consider myself as a skate park skater predominantly like that's the first place i did it and the majority of my skateboarding has always been at a skate park. There's definitely, I've done some street skating too, and I really enjoy street skating more so than skate parks now. But there's definitely some younger, like the, some of the younger generation now are, they only know a skate park. Yeah. Really, yeah. And the stuff that they're watching, the skateboarding that they're watching, however they're watching it, YouTube, whatever, yeah. is all skate park stuff. Yeah, which is great. And that's just because there's more skate parks, right? And more good skate parks. Yeah. Come say hello. There's a possibility that she might need to go out. No? Well, we should probably start wrapping it because I know you've got your, uh, your dancing tonight. Yeah. Um, so I've got a couple more. Yep. So we were, you were talking earlier about how you've changed your, you know, your life to focus on, give yourself more headspace to focus on the things you're passionate about. So if the opportunity came up for you to do something with skateboarding and full time, would you, would you want to do that? Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't, I, it's something that I think about all the time because I wonder if it becomes a full time job, will it, will I get back to the situation where, it never, the job never ends, which is what I worry about. Oh, uh, she's, she's cool. It's, it's all good. I was trying to give her one that was less. Big fan of background noise in these things. It's, it's fine, especially when it's a dog eating a biscuit and giving me the glad eye like that. She's a, <laughs> she's a very messy eater. Um, no, sorry. If it, yeah, I'm, I, I, I would be a bit worried about if the job, I do, lots of people that do work in the, what they love to do and especially like in skateboarding do say you know they'll be out skateboarding and then it, it carries on like how when does it stop because very much now so obviously i shut my computer down at half four that that is so over yeah i literally don't think about it from when i like open the car door and get in and drive home yeah and then i go skateboarding and do skateboarding and obviously with doing skateboarding comes chat about skateboarding and yeah but if it's depending on what the role is, oh, I don't know. Does it end? Sometimes I'm like, I find myself like a bit of a high energy skater. Me and Andy talk about this a lot. When I go skateboarding, I like to just skate. And I do, don't mind chatting. <laughs> but I hate it when someone wants to just chew your ear off about the current situation of skateboarding or something. And I just want to go. Yeah. Well, I think, I think if you've, if you're, it sounds like you've sort of taught yourself how to leave those aspects in a certain place. I think it'd probably just be the same wouldn't yeah, it? if it was your job, possibly. you know? Yeah, I would I'd possibly quite like to do it. But I mean, the fact that I'm chair in a voluntary position on the board, if we, <coughs> if we were to 
once we managed to get a, a grant or sponsorship or any sort of funding, we'd be looking to, and Sport England would make sure that we were to like recruit into any roles in like a proper way. Um, yeah, and go through like a proper process of getting someone in to do whatever roles they were. And I don't know necessarily, I don't know, do I want to remain on the board? Would I want to go into a pay position? So uh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, it'll yeah. evolve, won't it? Exactly. <coughs> right, clear throat. Um, so what are you proudest of in your skating life? <coughs> it's been 20 years. Um, what do you look back on with the most pride? I mean, I've got to say the board this year is, is probably the greatest achievement and having the interview in Grey magazine that came out this year also, as well as having that article on Sidewalk. I mean, those three things are really... Good milestones. Yeah, because they, they were all things I've put hard work into and I've also been trying to film this part. How's which, that going? Yeah, it's, it's good. Um, I was hoping that the the article, the board and the part would all come out at a similar time. But the filming has been harder because of the injuries that have happened during the time. And just from being able to, you know, possibly scheduling something, it rains, those normal things that you go through in British skateboarding. But yeah, it's been a little bit harder because, you know, there's a lot of times you go out and you battle and you come back with nothing. But I think we're nearly there. So hopefully within the next few weeks. Oh, really? That's There's something there, yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Um, yeah, and it's all stuff that I'm like more proud of, whereas other video projects, I felt like sometimes I've just like, had to throw stuff together and get stuff that I've just taken as a second, you know, like a second trick because I couldn't get the first one. So some of it's been a bit weak and I've been a bit disappointed by it. Right, but you're feeling good about all this? Yeah, I felt like I've had to try on most mostly all of it actually yeah <laughs> and andy's been really patient and yeah nice well, i look forward to seeing it yeah well cheers thank you how are you feeling about it yeah it's been really fun yeah yeah all right well we've I've covered really... ground there haven't we we have yeah i've really enjoyed it it's been great cool and so yeah thanks for coming on no worries so there you go that was my interview with lucy adams and i told you it was a really moving chat that one Lucy, as I'm sure you'll agree, is ace. And I'm really grateful she let me come around to her place to bombard her with questions, some of them pretty personal, um, and share her story with me. I think you'll agree it was, as I said at the beginning, very moving, very brave. Uh, so hats off, Lucy. Legend. I really appreciate that. So what else have we got going on? So as I think I said at the end of the last one, I am actually, well, I was saying I was going to be heading to Newquay and now I am in Newquay and I've brought the Brighton wind and uh, weather with me. So we had one good day, but it is literally howling on shore now. But whatever, it's all good. The sun's out I'm down here in a different part of the UK, working, seeing new and old friends. So all good. And as I also said, I've been ticking off some podcast interviews while I'm down here. Uh, yesterday I spoke to the legend that is Ben Skinner and that was wicked. Now Ben's a top man with a lot of brilliant stories from his career as well as some forthright views on some of the things going on in surfing right now. It's it's a great chat that I really enjoyed it. He's, you know, as well as a world-class surfer, he's a proper ledge and yeah, we, we had a good one there. So keep your ears open for that one. 
Uh, and then tomorrow, actually, I'm going to be interviewing Hugo Tagholm from Surfers Against Sewage. He's the chief exec of SAS, and yet he has been fighting the good fight for his entire career. So I'm really looking forward to finding out more about his career and the work that Surfers Against Sewage have been carrying out um, so doggedly over the years. Um, and then, I don't want to jinx it, but uh, I might be actually interviewing uh, the great Jenny Jones this weekend as well, because Jenny's down here. Jenny is uh, an old mate of mine, and I've been uh, I've been sort of, you know, been trying to get her on here for a while now, and I think she's finally cracked. So uh, I promised her we'd go for a surf, and uh, we'd mainly chat about surfing, because that's what we're both passionate about. So hopefully we'll be able to do that one as well. Um, which obviously would be great because Jenny, I would say, is the most requested guest that I've had for the Looking Sideways podcast. So as regulars will be sick of hearing, you can hit me up through www.wearelookingsideways.com where you'll find full show notes for every episode, all the old episodes. You can find my social channels if you want to get in touch and give me feedback. You can also sign up for the newsletter there, which I really recommend that you do. There's a lot of people signing up for that. Usually, I'm getting about 10 a day at the minute, which is uh, all good. And I usually put out extra content from the guests uh, in the newsletters and the occasional treat, especially for Looking Sideways listeners, as I did when I had Tom K from Finisterre on a few weeks back. And they were kind enough to dish out an exclusive discount code for Looking Sideways listeners. You only got that, though, if you're on the mailing list. So sign up there to learn about that type of thing nice and early. Um, so, yeah. That's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. And um, thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye.